0: Amen. It's great to see you here today, church, family, to be with you, to open God's word together. We've sung corporately in united agreement to our good God. We've, we've prayed, we've testified in the Lord's Supper, and just pray that this is a rich time for you, wherever you might be on your journey today, to interact with God's word. It goes to work in our, in our lives. Um, turn, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. You'll find Luke's Gospel to, towards the back of your Bible. Uh, we're just a few sermons into this great long journey we'll take through Luke's Gospel, and uh, just honored to be with you uh, in these days together. Uh, the birth announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that we'll read about today parallels with his announcement to Zechariah we studied last week in verses 5 through 25. Both John and Jesus are destined to do great things for God's good purposes. But the degree of comparison really ends there because of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Uh, John's conception in the womb of an elderly and longtime baron Elizabeth is truly miraculous But the divine conception of God the Son to take on flesh in the womb of Mary is a miracle of no comparable proportion. J.C. Ryle once said of the passage we'll study today, what we have in the next verses is the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder and love and praise. This testimony, church, starts with the angel Gabriel's visit to a virgin who would become the world's most famous mother. A woman with with a seed comes into clear view. How is that possible? Well, God promised at the fall of man that there would be one born of woman to defeat sin and death. It's time for him to arrive. The conception of God the Son. So much to take in this morning. Let's dive in together. Look with me. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This phrase, in the opening of this verse, in the sixth month, is a reference to now how long Elizabeth has been pregnant with who we will come to know as John the Baptist. Uh, if we look at the prior couple verses, we have context for this. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So now it's been six months that Elizabeth's been pregnant with the forerunner, the announcer of the Christ, John the Baptist. And in this six month, the angel Gabriel visits again. Second time in a short time, really, think about six months over the duration of all human history, for a very special ministry to be had by Gabriel. In most accounts in Scripture, we're not given the angels' names. Uh, There are only two who we are given their names Gabriel and Michael. uh, Two special angels who serve God uh, that we read about uh, in the book of Daniel, we read about here in the book, in the Gospel of Luke, we read about in a couple other New Testament books. Gabriel is simply assigned a very special role to bring this amazing news to the woman whom God chose to give birth to the promised Messiah. Gabriel was sent from God to visit a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now when you and I hear the word city, we likely think of cities that we know. Busy streets, high-rise buildings, Thousands of people, if not like our own city, hundreds of thousands of people, or maybe like the big cities where there's millions of people, right? Uh, the city that we live in, church here in Bakersfield, California, is the 48th biggest city by population in the U.S., with a half a million people here and 150 square miles. We live just one hour from the second biggest city in all the United States, Los Angeles, Uh, Four million people. Uh, L.A. is the biggest city, clearly, in California. Bakersfield is the ninth largest in our state. But that's not what is being referenced here when Luke uses the word city. And, And it's helpful for us to slow down and do business with this. Luke's use of this word is to simply convey that Gabriel is not visiting a location that is just out in the remote countryside where many people live and dwell and do their their lives in our country and around the world, outside of some kind of population center. No, there is a population center here. What he has in view is more of a small village or town where there might be a couple hundred people there to do life together and those families dwell. Nazareth is located halfway between the Mediterranean Sea, By approximately 22 miles to the west and the Sea of Galilee approximately 15 miles to the northeast Uh, it's about 75 to 100 miles north of Jerusalem surely a famous and well-known city in that day to give you an idea though how big it is it would be comparable to um, our modern city today Amador City have you heard of it it's Amador City is here in California it's a real city uh, it's off the old 49, north of us, about two hours outside of San Francisco. It's only 0.3 square miles in its size. Again, Bakersfield is 150 square miles. Um, its population, official population on the, on the census is 201 people. Small, it's deemed the smallest city in California. And by measure, essentially a very similar size to what Nazareth would be. Okay. The fact that you have not heard of Amador City or anything that's ever happened there is similar to the significance of Nazareth in this day. Uh, we actually have testimony of this in John's Gospel. Jesus, uh, this is later in, in the timeline, Jesus is gathering his disciples, and there's comments made by Nathaniel that are telling of how insignificant Nazareth is. John 1, 45 and 46, Philip found Nathaniel. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. In all of history, there is nothing that's worth noting to have ever have happened in this small town. Not one. Not until God ordained to send his only begotten Son in flesh to the womb of a virgin named Mary. And ever since that happened, all of history and mankind marvels at this city that God ordained for this to happen, the town known as Nazareth. Now, why does this detail matter? Because when you and I think of something so spectacular as the eternal God, the Son, taking on flesh as the birth of the promised Messiah to come and redeem his people human reasoning would think that God would have picked a more grand stage right for, for this to happen not a poor town in nowheresville and that's the way our mind works I think this is because our fleshly response if we're honest to people who are unknown or unpopular is to discredit them or it our fleshly response to poverty typically is to despise it why because no one likes to be poor if obscurity or poverty is God's providential lot for our lives as it can be we can in our flesh really struggle to receive that right And yet, this is the condition of life that God perfectly chose for this most historic event. Scripture is going to help us to grow to understand just how purposeful God is in all of this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The amazing condensation condensation of of God, for him to condescend, to to, to lower, to put on flesh, to take on the most humbling of circumstances, is an amazing testimony in itself. Especially when we're really slow to think about it. I mean, even if he condescended himself and and lowered himself to the position of a king who ruled in a castle, that lowering, that would still be amazing when we understand who God is in comparison to mankind as creation. So then, his infinite wisdom and plan to choose to incarnate as a poor man into a family of no extraordinary means in a nowhere town. And in this we start to see, or or we continue to see throughout Holy Scripture, a theme of how God works. That he will use people that we would not think to use. um, People who are different who are odd, who are not very skilled, who, who have challenges, who have great things. Why? So that when God does great things with them, we see God and we say, God is amazing. 1 Corinthians one through 27-29, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. A last helpful insight into God's perfect choice for Nazareth, which is in the region of Galilee. It's helpful to understand that Galilee, that region, that area, is a population center for Gentiles. There's a lot of Gentiles there. And so when you think about the perfect plan of God to send the Jewish Messiah, the promised Jewish king, To bring salvation and to bring it to a place that was so intersected with Gentiles, God's choice of Nazareth to be the place of Jesus' incarnation to the earth in the womb of Mary reveals that He indeed, Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And not just of the powerful or of the elite or of a particular nation but all those whom he calls from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's first consider Joseph of the house of David. Joseph was a simple man, from a most famous lineage, a blue-collar carpenter of the descendants of the great King David. Even though Jesus is not conceived from Joseph, it's important to understand he is considered Joseph's son by the fact that Mary is his betrothed wife. And therefore, Jesus is attributed as being of the house of David. This is significant because the promised Messiah was foretold by the prophecies of old to come out of the house of David. In Matthew's Gospel, we're given a detailed lineage of Jesus, which establishes him as Joseph's legal heir, and therefore one who can rightfully claim the throne of David. And what I love about this point is, once again, adoption is not a second-rate way by which we become family for this is how Jesus belongs to Joseph and how we whom Jesus came to save belong to God our father amen the other person mentioned here is Mary Luke tells us nothing more about Mary other than the fact that she is a virgin who is betrothed to a man named Joseph let's talk about betrothal for a moment we read about you can read about betrothal the custom jewish custom of betrothal in old testament places like deuteronomy 22 but a quick explanation betrothal refers to the first stage of a two-stage marriage process in that culture betrothal is in some way similar to our modern day practice of engagement whereby a formal promise is made to one day commit to one another at a later date in the holy union of marriage. But betrothal is different than engagement in a number of important ways as well. Uniquely, betrothal requires the formal blessing, witness of the woman's father, and the financial exchange of what was called a bride price. Another difference is that In the betrothal stage, the man and the woman referred to one another as husband and wife, even though they were not yet or fully married. They were not formally or fully married yet, but they use those terms. To be clear, they do not yet live together or consummate their relationship physically as that is reserved for after the wedding ceremony. There's also a permitted practice to end the betrothal with what they called in that day divorce. In the very unique testimony of Joseph and Mary, we're even told of Joseph's plan to divorce Mary after he found out that she was with child before they had come together in sexual union. Matthew 1, 18 and 19. Now the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Means under the old covenant was in the finding of her committing adultery and betraying him by being with another man, which is what was the confusion or thought to have happened here, she could have, Joseph could have had her killed under the Old Covenant law. So he wanted to show her grace and to divorce her, to break off the betrothal um, in this other way. Now, divorce from marriage is clearly prohibited by God in all of Holy Scripture. What he joins together, let no man separate until death. The practice of divorce in betrothal, though, was permitted under certain circumstances. It's important to see that. Another important insight about Mary and Joseph's betrothal is that in that day in culture, the young woman could be betrothed as early as the age of 12, which is commonly related to when a young woman is able to start bearing children. So what we have here is a young Poor teenage girl with no real resume of anything great or noteworthy, unique, not unique in any way. She lives in a, a small town and she's been approved by the tradition of betrothal to be married. That's what we know about Mary. Now, in just these last few moments, like me, some of you might be a little squirmy over what, something I just said. How can it be that there'd be any kind of regular practice that a girl as young as 12, 13, 14, would be given a father's blessing to become a wife and a mother, right? The girl, girl dads in the room are squirming. Uh, in, in our culture, church, this is unthinkable. It's undesirable, greatly, completely undesirable. It, if and when by sinful sexual engagement a teenage girl becomes pregnant which can and does happen but you have to realize this is a very different culture life and time these young women were very different than our modern day teenagers they were not busy pursuing grades to get ready for higher education nor sport accolades for the athletic field or preparing for a career accommodation or success they were not prolonging their adolescence with lots of movies and video games or talking or texting for endless hours on the phone with their friends No, these teenagers who are very humble proper responsible and mature by the time they By this time of life, they were an active part of their home and their village life. These young women had real daily responsibilities given to them. And there was an active and ongoing training by their mothers for how they are to do the good things that God has designed for a wife and a mother to do. You have to see it in a totally different context and culture. Or the idea of this young teenage girl getting married or becoming a mother can really going to mess you up. Might I contend for us today, not that we press our teenage daughters to become mothers and wives in their teens, but that we would be far more active and attentive in our discipling them, in our preparing them with the disciplines and practices that shaped them to become mature, equipped, godly women, who are ready sooner than later to serve the Lord, if he so wills, for them to be a faithful helpmate or mother to children of their own. There is a very popular cultural thing that a lot of us have bought into, and that's to let the kids be kids might we begin to grow to see that teenage kids need to mature quicker than they are. And so I just pray that the Lord would be at work in that in the good ways He would be um, going to work in our homes. Luke one twenty eight, And He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored here is translated from the word Grace in the Greek. Mary here is said to be full of God's good grace. Such an abundance of grace that no woman before her has experienced. It's a great measure of favor. I understand that Mary's favor with God is, is unique. And it makes sense. I mean, he picked her of all women to be the one to carry Jesus to term and then raise him through his youth. What an amazing proclamation for her to hear, especially considering her place in life, a low, lowly, regular teenage girl, to be deemed favored of the Lord, and then to be told that the Lord is with her. Christian. Before I talk about the uniqueness of how that stands out in her ears, can I ask you, do you realize that this is what God has said to you? That you too are favored, chosen of God. Not by happenstance, not by mistake. Before time, created and chosen for salvation to be His. Does the gravity of that reality hit home for you, beloved? Because it should. We need to not lose sight of God's sovereign creation and election in our lives, especially when we're in the midst of life's hard circumstances and injustices. And those things are, are, are getting us down. Christian, the Lord is with you. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus' words to the disciples as he commissions them to go be the church. To be the bride of Christ. To testify the gospel. To make disciples among the nations. And we who are the church today, this is our commission too. Jesus' church is with us. We are his eternal bride. Christian, do you know this? Do you live your days and engage with this amazing truth in clear view? Before we move on, it's important to address the sinful and extra-biblical ways that Mary has been elevated, not by God, but by sinful man throughout history, especially by the Roman Catholic Church. The grossly misguided belief for many who hold it or endorse it is built on this phrase we see in this text by Gabriel to Mary when he calls her favored one. The Latin Vulgate's rendering of this phrase is gratia plena, which means full of grace. And it is built out by some wrongly to basically convey that Mary also is without sin. Roman Catholics declare that Mary is without sin. It's an overreaching conclusion built on a, a number of different ways they get to it. Some of it's based on the idea that Jesus who is holy could not dwell in the body of a sinful woman. Thereby overconnecting something that's not meant to be connected. Why? Because the child and the mother are two different and distinct people. You can't change that. Right? They're not one. The body and the life of the child is different than the body and the life of the mother. Right, the mother carries the child as, the chi- as God grows the child and feeds the child, nourishes the child the child is, is not the same person as the mother it, it's this kind of thinking by which some will even go so far to argue why the woman has rights to do with her own body what she wants and therefore justifying for some uh, murder of that life in the womb through abortion Mary need not be holy to carry Jesus in the womb and to raise him as a son. Scripture is clear that she's not. So we have to see that this is preposterous and, and simply not possible. Why? Because Mary is conceived from the seed of her earthly father, who is a descendant of Adam, And therefore, is full of original sin and imputed sin, which is passed to Mary through that conception. Romans 6.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is original sin. The sinful tendencies, desires, dispositions in our hearts with which we are all born His original sin, it's something inherent in us, in our race, the human race, and it's given to us through the heritage of our fathers. When Adam sinned, his inner nature was transformed and by his sin of rebellion, bringing to him spiritual death and depravity, which then he passes on to all who come after him, And just as we inherit certain genetic or physical characteristics from our parents, we also inherit our sinful nature from our first parents through the seed of our parents, specifically our father, right? Headship of God's design. King David lamented this reality of our condition, speaking of his own conception Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, to bring even greater clarity, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Because Mary is born of the seed of a human father, that's the way conception works. We don't have time to get into that. She, will also, she is also conceived in sin. There is only one man to ever be born who is not conceived of the sinful seed of Adam. For his conception was a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, a testimony by which we will study this morning and engage in this very passage. We'll come back to that. But to circle back, the Roman Catholic Church setting Mary up as something she's not, according to biblical standards, is gross error that has equaled making her an object of worship, making her an object of intercessory prayer that that she is seen as a mediator between God and man. But again, Scripture Church is so clear. 1 Timothy 2.5, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's no and Mary. One mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Nowhere in Holy Scripture is Mary elevated to these things that are improperly taught by the form of man-made religion. Sadly, these beliefs and practices sinfully pervert the wonderful way that God ordained to use Mary in this most amazing role of caring in the womb and then mothering Jesus in his youth. Church, we need to have a proper testimony of Mary that's grounded in Scripture, not tradition, not religion scripture alone needs to inform us so that we would praise God properly have no other gods before him and that we would then give proper credit and testimony to God's work in his people like Mary Mary was indeed conceived in sin and therefore in need of a savior what's another way we know that? her own testimony. Looking further down the page, we'll study this in later weeks, Luke one forty seven. Mary herself says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Church, only sinners need a Savior. And Mary is a sinner along with the rest of mankind who is born in the seed of man and thereby in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That said, it is truly an honor of unequal portion when you consider the fact that Mary was chosen out of all women of gen- all generations and all of history to be the one through her childbearing and mothering with love and care for the Savior of the world. The one by whom sin and death would be defeated for all of God's elect. Surely she is highly favored and blessed among all other women. Thank you, Lord, for the life and testimony of this faithful, young, teenage girl. Don't lose sight of that. Young ladies in the room, it is never too soon to take most seriously who God is in your life. And to truly live every day he gives you under the sun for his glory and fame. This is happening in new ways among our body here at Disciples Church, and I'm super pleased to see it. Whether it be parents taking a more intentional role as to how they're walking with their kids, educating their kids, discipling their kids... Paying closer attention and being more attentive to what their kids are exposed to uh, through peers or media. um, Having a more active role in their kids and teenagers and young adult lives is really something sweet to see that's changing and growing in our church especially considering all the pressures of our modern-day society, of what we call normal or this seems fitting because, you know, this is just part of what it looks like or how it's done. May we be set apart for the name of Christ. Um, Just a couple nights ago, I was privileged to interrupt uh, a couple of our young adult ladies who... Were genuinely sharing among each other The ways that they had seen Christ at work in their lives And I'm convinced that this conversation was actually happening This was not a radical turn in their conversation Because Pastor Josh came and sat down with them Um, It was happening And it was a real blessing to hear Desire to know the Lord, honor the Lord, grow in the Lord Turning away from the things that have been a struggle And maturing in faith I'm so excited to see what that will continue to equal and be in our young people. One final point as to how we personally relate to Mary, and it's a significant one, and that is the fact that there is a relationship that every one of us who belong to Christ in faith have that is more intimate than Mary, the mother, had with her son, Jesus. And you might first go, man, that's a pretty intimate relationship. And it truly is. And it's Jesus' words that give us this clarity himself. Mark 3.35, he says, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Church, it is the highest blessing to be adopted into the family of God because of the blood of Jesus in our place. The blood-bought family is our eternal family Whereas our blood family is God's means to be stewarded in all of its different forms, but only for this life. And many times, for many of us, only for part of this life. Why? Because our blood family can die. They can abandon us. Or need to be relationships we no longer pursue in light of God's good word and plan for these days that we're in. May we see and savor the amazing place in Jesus' life that we have been blessed to receive. May we not ever count it as second rate in comparison to any other relationship in our life. And this was the emphasis of my teaching this last Wednesday at midweek and talking about idolatry. That our deepest love, our greatest devotion and priorities would be for Christ and every other relationship rightly prioritized after. This is a great blessing to us, now and forever. I pray we see it as so. Look with me at verse 29. Luke one twenty nine, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's no surprise that Mary, Mary is stunned at this news she was just given. She's trying to figure out what is going on here. Uh, and, and as I tried to climb into kind of the magnitude of the moment of this unique visit, I, I was looking for some kind of comparable comparison to get us close, and it's not going to get us anywhere close, and it's super lame, but just join me in it for a second. Maybe you'll taste the weight of this. Imagine the Secret Service rushes into the room you're in and says, we need to go. The President of the United States has a most important and urgent matter for the good of the country of international priority and wants you and no one else to help him carry it out. I mean, just, I know, again, it's lame. Just go with me. <laughs> Can you just try to imagine how reeling your thinking is while you're in, you know, bullet-plated transports to the White House? Uh, what is going on? What, how does the President of the United States... What does he need with little old me regarding priorities of international affairs? And, and, and some to that measure is what this lowly teenage girl must be reeling about to hear this news, to be favored with God, that God is with her. She's overwhelmed at the sight and sounds of this angelic visitation For such a young girl of humble circumstance to receive such a word from God is to confirm the biblical truth that we read in Holy Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5, Proverbs 3.34. Mary is told that she is favored and the Lord God is with her. You need to do business with that time in life under the old covenant to really understand how serious and amazing this point is it can be missed on us why because the jewish people in that day think about god's presence as not being right here but where in the tabernacle in the holy of holies a a space only visited on occasion by the highest priest on behalf of the people God is not with the people individually in the way she hears Gabriel testify this to her. No, he's with his people through amazing means of his design of the tabernacle and the ministry of the priest. The concept of God being with us, the concept of being favored by God, therefore, not words that Mary at all is taken lightly. She is rocked by these boggled and and here's the point church it should rock us too for god the son to put on flesh to come and not only save me from my sin but to be with me now and forever listen how gabriel describes jesus to mary her son And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. These are the giants of this girl's faith. She's living in a very constrained and hard society. (laughs) She's going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. This is the testimony of the greatest child to ever be born. His name is Jesus, and he is truly great. How great will Jesus be, according to the angel? The utmost among all of mankind in history. The one by whom history will be defined. how great is Jesus, the greatest, as he is equal with God the Father from all the eternity past, as Son of the Most High. That term, the Most High, is a reference to God in Holy Scriptures. Only God is Most High. How great is Jesus? How high? Ephesians 1, 21-23, look at it with me, church. Far above all rule, and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the in the one to come he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who who fills all in all how great is jesus how supreme he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There is no one who has ever been or ever will be greater than Jesus, who is God. Luke 1, 31-32, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. These are the, the great promises and prophecies of old, Of these people they know them so well and she's it's unfolding before her he's the fulfillment of these things this child in my womb listen to god's covenant with david second samuel 7 12 through 16 when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers i will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom Forever before me Your throne shall be established forever The promise of God to David Listen to the famous prophecy we hear in Isaiah 9, 6-7 You'll remember this one For unto us, for to us a child is born To us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, Everlasting Father prince of peace with the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this with the prophecy we read in Psalm 2 6-9 as for me I have set my king on Zion my holy hill I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God has appointed from before time that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The promised King who will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Church, do not miss the power of these words, especially when you consider the power, the greatness, the reach, track with me, of the largest kingdoms, the most dominant empires of all of human history. The great Nineveh, Babylon, Egypt, Rome, every one of them have seen their demise and come to an end. Church, it will be no different for the most dominant governments and monarchies of our day. Each of them one day will see their end. Unlike all of these, Jesus' kingdom will reign above them all and will reign forever. The angel is announcing these things to Mary and in doing this points out that all of that prophecy of old is fulfilled in in Jesus. Daniel's vision in Daniel seven, thirteen through fourteen, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Later, the Apostle Paul will proclaim to the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Praise be to Jesus, our Lord. Oh, how he is to be forever praised. Church, the Redeemer has come, and he has accomplished his work on our behalf, and now reigns on high. Our Savior lives. Our Lord reigns. Christian, even when we are sick, or poor, or outcast, or we need to never be overcome by these happenings why because our master lives our champion has won all throughout scripture we see encouragements in this vein Jesus saying himself in John 16 20 and 22 truly truly I say to you you will weep and lament the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy so also you have sorrow now but I will see you again your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you christian do you know that you need to thank you lord psalm 30 verse 5 weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning look with me at verse 34 mary's response mary said to the angel how will this be since i am a virgin The Greek word that Luke uses here that the English translators give us as a virgin is the word "no." In other words, she is yet to be known sexually by another. Mary's question here is not the same as Zechariah's that we saw a few verses back in verse 18. Zechariah's question is, is one that is lacking faith and is full of doubt as he's questioning the ability of this to happen. This is not the same kind of question she's asking. right? Mary's inquiry is full of faith and more of one of pragmatic inquiry. She's more saying, how will this be? In other words, I trust that God is able, I'm just very curious how this will come about because she's just thinking of the pragmatics of how conception works, Right? and I haven't been part of that thing that makes conception work. We also know that Mary is not doubting or lacking faith like Zechariah. Why? Because Zechariah was properly disciplined for his lack of faith. Differently, Gabriel simply answers her question with the most amazing and miraculous news. Setting the table for the most amazing miracle that God ordained to be. The very way that God the Son takes on flesh. Look with me. How is it that a virgin will conceive and bear a son? Here it is, verse 35. The angel answered her The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The fact that the Messiah would be born of a virgin was also prophesied about 700 years before in Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And right there, I mean, virgins conceiving is math that does not work. She so call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. How did God come to be with us? Through the divine work of the Holy Spirit. The angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. The child born in Mary's womb will be holy, unlike every other child ever born of man. Why? because he is not stained by the original sin of Adam that has passed through the seed of man. He's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is in no way a sexual encounter, but a miraculous and holy work of the Holy Spirit, whose power overshadows Mary to bring conception to bear in her womb. Church, let us not forget who makes conception work every time. It's His design, it's His running, it's His providence. How did God the Son come to be with us in the flesh? Through the sovereign will and power of God the Holy Spirit to conceive a child in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This is the testimony of the incarnation of God the Son. The second person of the eternal Godhead, the holy triune God. John's words in the opening of his gospel, John 1, 1-3, In the beginning, looking to eternity past, was the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word is God the Son, who is God, who is one with God the Father, one with God the Holy Spirit. He is not made. Instead, all things are made through Him. John adds later, a few verses later, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Church, the God of the universe in a body like yours and mine, in the womb, growing, being nourished, forming fingers and toes, and it's amazing. Emerging as a child to be nurtured, to be loved, all the while holy and without sin. Consider with me for a moment the Historic Baptist Confession, chapter 8, section 2. As I read it, listen so carefully to these historic truths about who God is. You have to allow it to correct what Scripture teaches us, to correct how you think God works. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, the same in substance and equal with him. He made the world and sustains and governs, every, governs everything he made. When the fullness of time came, he took upon himself human nature with all the essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon her. The power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus he was born of a woman from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without converting one to the other or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. Church, God the Son, Jesus, is truly and fully God and truly and fully man at the Incarnation. Now, listen carefully. The who that is born of Mary is uncreated. It is the eternal divine nature of God the Son, who is not created, always has been. That's the who. The what that is conceived in Mary's womb is created. It is the human nature of Jesus. The uncreated person born of Mary by virtue of a created nature that he takes into personal union with himself. This is an essential clarity of Holy Scripture and doctrine because God, who Jesus is, does not change. This is a very essential clarity of the incarnation, one that I spent most of last Christmas teaching about with big shovels. Remember I told you to bring big notepads. We're going to go deep. If you're interested to dive deep into that, get a big notepad and go to your computer and turn on the podcast of last year's Advent series and we'll go together. Jesus is conceived of the Spirit and therefore born without sin and will go on to live his entire life without sin. Now here why, here's why that matters so that he could be the perfect atonement for our sin in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 3.16-17 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There is so much to praise God for in his perfect plan to send God the Son to take on flesh, to assume to himself a human nature, to live and die and rise so that we can be reconciled to him forever. He truly is the greatest child born for he truly is son of God. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Pray with me. Father, we are so blessed to take this time, to have this time, this space, to have your written word, to to dive into these amazing truths, a passage that we've read or heard a thousand times. And yet, you are doing a work here today in each of us, the perfect work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, to bring awe, to bring... Um, faith to bring repentance. Lord, do your work in us. We thank you for the testimony of Mary. We thank you for your perfect plan, the incarnation of Christ our Lord. There is no one higher. And so we worship him alone. Now, in each breath you give us until you take us home, may it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.